Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I'm your host, Scott Mort. I'm doing well. I hope you guys are doing great, too. I have some amazing news, honestly. And I'm not hearing anybody say a lot about it. But I, I feel like... I feel like UFO Investigators won a major battle this week. It was pretty impressive. On June 24th, there was a hearing on UFOs at the Brazilian Senate. And it was an amazing success. Almost a full house. 22,000 views on the TV Sonato channel on YouTube and this this is going to open a lot of doors for further discussions about UFOs and honestly thus then unexplained phenomena in general this meeting was opened by one of their senators and Eduardo Guerrero and it it went amazingly it went absolutely amazingly. It started off with Wilson Pickler uh, kind, of, kind of explaining the premise of life out there. He illustrated this with images and, and cosmic immensity. The, the sheer number of galaxies and stars, a ton of scientific arguments. And then, and then he presented a survey on the belief of alien life in Brazil. Uh, then they went to A.J. Gavard. He spoke about Air Force documents on UFOs. This I didn't know, but I always suspected. A.J. Gavard, he said there are about 20,000 pages of UFO documents that have been released and are available to the public. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. And he went on to talk about one of his projects, the UFO's Freedom of Information Campaign. Givard showed illustrations of UFOs, landed UFOs, detailed documentation. It was it was mind blowing that that they got this many people to listen to them. After that, Roni Vernet he he talked about some of the contactees that had injuries and even deaths. Uh, he talked about Operation Prado. This was this was an official investigation that looked into the Chupa Chupa phenomena. For those that don't know, uh, the Chupa Chupa phenomena those were that took place in 1977. The these UFOs uh, caused vicious scars on some of the local residents' bodies. They, they organized night vigils, lit fires, ignited fireworks, trying to scare off what they call these chupa chupas, if I'm remembering correctly. They were kind of refrigerator-sized and looking flying objects and, and lights in the skies. Uh, it, it got so bad that the mayor of the town, Colares Para, he, Jose Ildon Favacho Sierra, he actually begged for help from the Air Force. That, that's how bad this got. The Chupa, Chupa phenomena 
was so large, it actually got the attention of Jacques Vallée. You know, the guy, the man who probably knows more about UFOs than any other person that has ever walked the planet. Jacques Vallée investigated this, and he found that, like, there were some people that were killed. The injuries were consistent with radiation effects from microwaves. There were other ufologists, and this is where the, the name Chupa Chupa comes from. It actually means sucker sucker. It, other ufologists claimed that these UFOs sucked blood from 400 people, almost like the, the vampire myths of old. And, and on and on. The presenters made their cases at, at this hearing on UFOs. Robert Salas concluded everything by saying, you know what, the end of this secrecy would impact humanity positively. And I agree. The end of the secrecy would help us. It would absolutely help us. Imagine if we learned the secret of UFO propulsion. Imagine what that would do for humanity in general. There are so many people out there right now starving, sick, ill, without energy, without power. Knowing the secret of how these UFOs propel themselves, be it, be it scientific, be it magical, be it whatever. And honestly, magic is just science that can't be explained, in my opinion. Knowing how these crafts work, knowing the technology these creatures possess, I like to think it would propel humanity in a good direction. I'm hopeful. Star Trek, not Star Wars. But I suppose... Neither path is likely with us. Our first tale comes to us from the amazing phantomsandmonsters.com. Lon Strickler received an account from a couple. This, this is going to take us back to September 2001. Now, this couple, they were... I mean, a lot of us have been there, myself included. They, they were homeless. They were the homeless in the woods of Norman, Oklahoma. And I've been there. I wasn't there for long, but I've been homeless. It's... Here's something that people don't tell you about being homeless. Being homeless is expensive. Being... Like, having to buy all your food... Pre-made... I mean, whenever you're homeless, it's not like you can go buy a raw chicken and cook it. Being homeless is expensive. I was lucky. I, uh, I was only, I was only home, homeless for a few days. Uh, I, ended up, I ended up shacking up in a model home. Illegally, of course. I ended up shacking up in a model home in, in northern Maryland... 
and uh, I'd only stay there at nights. I would park my car. It was right next to a McDonald's that was right next to a gym. So I took a little bit of the money I had and I got a membership to the gym so that I would have a place to shower. And McDonald's gave me the cheap food that I needed. And at nights I would kind of just park my car either at the gym or the McDonald's and kind of hunker down the model homes. I'm telling you, if you're homeless, it's expensive and people do not realize that. So this couple has all of my sympathy in the world. They, they decided to camp. Uh, it's kind of close. If you're familiar with Norman, Oklahoma, it's kind of close to West Robinson street, right next to a crest grocery store. Uh, and they said that's why they picked the location. It was right next to a grocery store. There was hotels nearby. And that way, if they wanted to shower and if they could have a hotel room with what little bit they had, uh, they could go there. Legacy Park across the street. They decided, hey, you know, we can use the bathroom in the park as well. They weren't as lucky as me. They stayed in the woods for about two months. But they were smart. They saved up enough money. They got a bus ticket out of town. But the nights that they were there, the husband would hear things at night. He would, he would hear something that sounded like a woman talking. Now he kind of he kind of shrugged this off. He thought, well, maybe it's echoes from from people walking across the street at the park or the store. But it really sounded like it was right next to their tent. And they were pretty far in the woods. They're they're trying not to be seen. Sadly, there were other homeless people there. But everybody kind of camped far enough away from other homeless people just to try to give them privacy. And unfortunately, they had a looter go through their tent. They were trying to go unseen. Now, they were, they were seeing a huge owl that sat right above their tent. Owls are kind of iffy. There's the the wife is saying that in her tribe, I'm assuming she's Native American. In her tribe, the owl's a messenger. It's usually a sign of death. It's a bad sign. It's it's not good. Owls too. Mm. There's a lot of times it seems that paranormal phenomena, especially UFO activity, owls have something to do with it. If you want, there's, there's an amazing book called The Messengers, Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee by Mike Cleland. And you know what? I'm going to leave a link 
to Mike Cleland's website, uh, hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. I'm going to leave a link to that in the Strange Pathways Facebook page. It's There's some creepy stories. There's some creepy stories about owls out there. Also, uh, the one of the hosts of Expanded Perspectives, one of my favorite paranormal podcasts, his mother had a strange experience with an owl. Go, go look that up. That's, it's, it's, ugh. that's all there is to say about it. It's, it's unsettling. The wife is saying, though, that she used to open up the flap of the window in the tent and this owl would be just there staring at her. Then it would fly away and the sound of its wings were very loud. To me, that's unusual too. Owl wings are designed to be very, very silent. This, this owl for about a week comes every night and sits on the tree. Then they have the most frightening night. It starts off like this. They, they were burning their trash. And the husband would always burn it a little bit away from the tent. So they had made like a little path. Here's our tent. Here's our burn pile. So they had just gotten done burning their trash. And there's this huge cedar tree behind them. Through, through the night, he hears like the start of cracking. And something's crashing down through the limbs above his head. It, it scares him. Scares him enough that he moves out of the way. But there's nothing. There's nothing he can see. And then something started to chase him. The wife, she hears running feet go past the tent. And then it stops. There, there was nothing behind the tent. Just brush, thorns. She says if anything would have ran through that... It would have either gotten stuck or if it was big enough and mean enough to crash through thorns, it, it would have made a lot more noise. She's kind of thinking maybe this was her husband and she yells at, out to him and says, what are you doing? There's no response. But immediately after she sees her husband running towards the tent down the path from the trash pile. Something came before him. What was it that, that just ran out the side of the tent and stopped? There's, there's a difference. There's a difference between something on four feet running and something on two feet running. There's the difference, uh, think of, 
Think of the sound something on two feet makes, a human being. Think of the way it sounds running versus a horse. Or a, think about your cat. That, that little happy prance that a cat does. It's, it's that gallop, right? Cats can be silent or cats can be the loudest things in the world whenever they run. And that happy little gallop your cat does whenever it's playing. You can tell that's four feet. She's saying whatever this was sounded like a bipedal creature. She's trying to like run it through her head, explain it to herself. Uh, maybe it was a raccoon. The only other animals they'd seen there besides the owl was an armadillo. And an armadillo is not heavy enough to make the sounds. It was heavy. The husband gets closer to the tent and he's, he's yelling, please hurry up, open the door. He, he says, something's chasing me. It's, it's big. The wife looks at him and goes, oh, what did you see? Because I didn't see anything. It was dark. I felt it behind me. Once again, and I think we would all do the same thing. She's running through in her mind. Well, maybe it was, maybe it was somebody trying to steal from us. Maybe it's the cops. Maybe it's some crackhead running loose through the woods. They're in the tent. They're trying to calm down. And then they hear a loud, high-pitched sound. It's, it's near the tent. Then it's echoing towards the hotel, the other side of the woods. It, it sounded like it was flying away, screeching. And you could hear tree limbs cracking. Whatever this thing is, it's flying away. And while doing so, breaking tree limbs. She said it was like a high screech whistling from low to high. Something loud like thunder or a siren. After this night, nothing else really happened. They, they kind of saved up their money as much as they could to stay in the hotel. They only went into the tent as little as possible. And then they got out of town for good. I can't say that I blame them. Now, Lon Strickler, being, being the kick-butt investigator that he is, he checks around for strange creature sightings in the Norman, Oklahoma area. There's Thunderbird sightings. There's Bigfoot sightings. There's crawler humanoids. One of these, or something brand new, terrorized this couple. And remember, they were deep in the woods, but not so deep that they couldn't walk to a grocery store or a motel. You don't have to be 20 miles in the woods for this stuff to happen. It's right there. It's right on the edge of your town. That's where this stuff lives. 
and it's watching you from the tree line with those curious eyes. There's plenty of sightings of strange things right in cities. The one that pops almost immediately to mind near Uniontown, Pennsylvania. A Bigfoot crossing a busy street with hardly any forest nearby. These things share this world with us, but are so attuned at staying hidden that most of us go our entire lives without seeing a single one. Humans like to think they're the top of the food chain. And maybe we are. Or maybe, just maybe, there's stuff out there that's smart enough to not let us know that it's there. It's been said that humanity is a species with amnesia. We don't really know our history. We don't know where we actually came from. We take a look at myths and legends and say they're just stories. But myths and legends tend to have a kernel of truth in them. We, we forget we forget so much as humanity and i'm not talking like ancient aliens i'm not talking i'm not talking history greek fire how the pyramids were built not just that but i'm talking fairly recent stuff just as a quick example as early as the 19th century every table had three shakers Salt, pepper, and we don't know. That's, that's only about 150 years back. We don't know what the third spice was. I always thought it was kind of curious that we're so attuned in salt and pepper, those two. Why not cinnamon and cardamom? Why not parsley flakes and... Parmesan cheese. Why not oregano and thyme? But no, we are very stuck on salt and pepper. But there was that third one. Humans, we don't know. Scientists do not know what that third spice is. It's like a little mini mystery. The prevailing theory is that third spice was actually mustard. But what I really want to talk about here is Whitechapel Mount. In, in London, there, there used to be a mountain. Well, a mound. But it was, this mound was taller than the nearby London Hospital. And it dominated, dominated the surrounding landscape. This thing is completely gone now. And no one knows what it was. Oh, there are a lot of arguments. Some historians believe the mound was artificial. 
a certain subset of those historians believe that it was a defensive structure to guard London's eastern approach. This thing was... This is staggering. 400 yards long. It was... It's actually visible in a couple of paintings until around the early 1800s. Now, the mount, it, it was leveled in 1807 to make way for new buildings. Pretty standard stuff, really. There are those that believe that the, the mount was created by just all the rubble from the Great Fire of 1666. It's not really a good theory. Now, in 1666, London was... Those buildings, that was wooden plaster. There wouldn't have been enough after the fire to create something that size. And the mount itself... Whitechapel Mount was very, very dangerous. wasn't so much falling or hurting yourself but it became it became a den of of thieves and 'er ne'er-do-wells they would use the mount as a hiding place they would stash stolen goods there people people though that was only at night in the daytime though people crossed the mount all the time Travelers, visitors, you could get a great view of the city. You could even go up this thing with a horse cart and mules. It's it's gone, though. Other theories were that maybe this was maybe this was uh, the burial place of those that died in the Great Plague of 1665. Others think that it was a defensive structure going back to the English Civil War. Some say it was a defensive structure going back even further, that that the Saxons built it. No one knew where it came from. No one knows what its purpose was. There, There are even those that the that believe that the that it was just a big pile of cow dung cattle were driven to the market they were corralled in this area before sale so you know if you don't clean stuff up it accumulates if you don't clean it up for 400 years it accumulates a lot and i mean this place did have another name. It wasn't just the Whitechapel Mount. It was called the Whitechapel Dungs Hill. Whenever it was decided that to, to take down the mount, it took several years. The, they took the soil from Whitechapel Mount and they used it to make bricks. These were delivered to Wentworth Street, Bethnal Green, Hanbury's Brew House, which is known as the Black Eagle Brewery. That building still stands today. 
a lot of antique hunters went through that soil too. A silver tankard here, a Roman coin there. Probably, probably the most amazing find was a carved boar's head with silver tusks. They, they believed that this was a memento of the boar's head inn, which was the setting for a lot of Shakespeare's plays. It's, it's kind of odd to think of as a hill as mysterious and having a finite existence. But that's, that's exactly what this was. Was Whitechapel Mount a glorious place of battle, defending old London from invaders? Or was it just a pile of cow's crap? It's... The, the manly part of me wants it to be like, you know, defend the invaders. But there is a certain poetic joy to having this large pile of cow dung become this, become this beautiful, important, mysterious monument. I think if I could have it my way, it would be cow's dung elevated to mystery. Our last tale is going to take us all the way back to February 4th, 1977. Pembrokeshire, Wales. There's a school there called Broadhaven. It's, it's a winter day. It's cold. But the children there are going to have quite the experience. The children, there's about 14 of them. They're about 10 years old. These kids, they come in from recess and they tell the director of the school and a few of the teachers, there's this thing flying around outside. We don't know what it is. The director, he, he thinks that he's being pranked. So he doesn't go out. He doesn't even take a look. But one of the students there, one of the students there, he's, he's just too curious. Dave Davies. Davies goes out, wants to take a look for himself. And he sees it. It's at the upper perimeter of the school. It's, it's behind some trees. This thing is 50 feet long, glowing. It's about the size of a bus hanging in the air. This thing has a central dome on the top. It covers the middle third. A pulsing red light on the roof. Now, other, other children, they said that they saw these tall, skinny alien creatures. Davy says that he felt this strong urge to run away. Now, whether that was being put on him or that was just the human condition, I don't know. Dave and all the other children, they return home to their parents, tell them what they saw. And the following Monday, 
the media gets hold of the story. Kids go to school. Now the principal approaches them, isolates the students, and has each one of the students draw pictures of what they saw and write an account. The principal's getting ready to hand out some punishments. These kids are pulling a prank. He doesn't like it. But even his skepticism is tamed whenever he's looking at the images, the drawings, and all the kids are drawing the same thing. He's reading the stories. All the kids are telling the same story. As always, lives are ruined. Dave Davies, he, he was bullied for the next five years. He was that weird kid that saw the UFO. Dave's a strong man. He wasn't going to break. He wasn't going to say, yeah, I was lying whenever he, he was telling the truth. And to this day, Dave's story has not changed. 40 years later, Dave's story has not changed. Some of the skeptics don't like it, though. One Emlyn Williams of the Swansea UFO Network, he, uh, he thinks that, that what they saw was a couple of kids saw someone walking around holding some sort of gadget. And that the UFO they saw, that was a, uh, that was a sewage tanker. They were really close to a sewage farm. You know, if they were really close to a sewage farm, I bet the kids would know what a sewage tanker looks like. Some are saying what the kids saw was a helicopter landing. You know, I remember, I remember whenever I was about 11 or 12, a helicopter landed on the baseball field of my local school. Not one of us said that aliens came out of it and that it was a UFO. I think these kids were smart enough to tell the difference between a UFO and a helicopter. Especially whenever they're drawing the thing. The thing that they're drawing does not look like a helicopter one little bit. Not at all. To make things just a little bit weirder, Around that same time, there was a lot of weirdness going on near Broadhaven. A lot of weirdness. The area actually got the nickname the Broadhaven Triangle because of the weirdness. Uh, two months after the, the incident at the school, there was the uh, Haven Fort Hotel. Now, the owner, Rosa Granville, she was in bed and... She's woken up about 2.30 a.m. She goes out and she sees an upside-down saucer next to the hotel and two faceless humanoid creatures with pointed heads. Rosa Granville said that it was so hot 
that her face felt burned. That, that lights and flames of all colors came out of it, then the creatures came out of those flames. God, that sounds, that sounds biblical, quite honestly. That sounds biblical. A few miles away, uh, there's the Ripperston Farm. Billy Combs and his wife Pauline had a series of incidents happen to them. Uh, Mrs. Combs one day was driving her children to school and her car was followed by, she said it looked like a rugby ball on fire. One night, the Combs family, they dialed, they dialed emergency services because there was a seven foot tall figure wearing a spacesuit looking at them through their living room window. Stuff was happening in the area. I live my life by what's called the iceberg theory, which is at any moment about any subject, I only know 10%. The same way that you look out and see an iceberg in the ocean, you're only seeing the top 10%. The bottom 90% is hidden. So I live my life by what I call the iceberg theory. Right here we have the Combs family, we have the hotel incident, we have the school incident. That's three things that were, were reported. I can guarantee if we did some digging, we'd find more because I'm going to bet 10 times that happened. At least, at least. I feel sorry for the kid that was bullied. The kid was just being honest. It ruins lives. It absolutely ruins lives. And we as a society, we need to move past that so we can find out what the truth is. And it, it angers me deeply that whenever somebody sees a ghost, a UFO, a cryptid, society's first move is to judge them, critique them, make fun of them. We're supposed to be scientists and explorers. We need to start acting like it. Thank you for joining us once again here on Strange Pathways. Please head on over to the Facebook page. I'm going to have a lot of photos and links dealing with the cases we talked about here today. I'm doing, I'm doing more videos up on TikTok up on Instagram, little tiny one minute things, head over there. Links will be in the description down below. Please, please get out there. Tell your friends, tell your family, leave us good reviews, mention us on forums, really get the word out there. The, every day, it, it's nice every day to go see those views creep up. And, and to see the subscribers on our YouTube channel go up and up and up. It always goes a little higher. It never really goes down. Does my heart good. Does my heart good. While you're over there on YouTube, click like, subscribe to the channel, ring the little bell, comment. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. 
take care of yourselves and each other.